is a special day, Dads and Grads Sunday. And uh, this is my final project, okay? And uh, we have beach camp this afternoon. I'm supposed to be there at 4 o'clock. So we'll see if we can get done in time, all right? Starting page one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I am going to give a little summary here of uh, what I what I uh, wrote about for my final project, because it applies to us as a church. In fact, uh, Doctor of Ministry, in case you wonder what in the heck does that mean, the title ministry is quite literal. It is meant to be done while you're serving in ministry, and it's meant to be done, uh, your coursework is in relationship to the ministry that you are uh, serving in. Last week was the ceremony and these things uh, for my degree uh, program. And uh, Saturday was all the graduates, 631, read name by name, could have done without it. But Friday night, Friday night was, uh, Friday afternoon was actually a pretty enjoyable ceremony. It was just for my degree program. And the thing that I will never forget called us up, uh, just, just a small group of us that graduated in this with this degree, called us up one at a time and placed the doctoral hood over our necks. And there's one person that's screaming in the background, go, daddy, go, yay, daddy, that's my daddy. And uh, that's what will stick out in my mind more than anything, Dawson cheering in the background. But it was a blessing. And as I thought about what do I want to devote my time to, really what I tried to think about is what are the strengths of our church and then what are my passions in, uh, for my own ministry and what the Lord has called me to do and what it boiled down to? If there's anything I love to do in ministry, I love to come alongside of people and to help them kind of find their calling in life and what God is called, how God is going to use them and how God has equipped them to serve in ministry. And so what I've spent a lot of my time uh, uh, thinking about it is as a church, how are we empowering people to, lead, to live out the calling that God has given uh, to us? In fact, I think there are two entities that are blessed when we live out that calling. First of all, the individual. Because when we live into what God has called us to do, there is tremendous joy. There is a feeling of significance and meaning and purpose. But then also the church is blessed. Because then we are able to, if as we work together to do what God has called us to do, we are the people of God that God wants us to be. In fact, we see the marriage of these two entities in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It says, So Christ gave some to be apostles, others to be prophets, others evangelists, others to be shepherds and teachers. So there's an individual call, all of these individuals now working together to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that a blessing, a blessed thought that we would obtain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? All that God has to offer us that we would be able to live into that. We just have a few minutes, so let me take a minute and just ask that God would help us to take what we would 
what he would have for us today. Let's pray. Father God, as we briefly look at a few thoughts from your word and consider these things uh, for our church, I pray that you would speak to us and speak through me and just give us wisdom as we seek to follow your lead. In Jesus' name, amen. I really believe that our church would not be here if it were not for a few Christians early on in the history of West Covina Christian Church that distinctly heard and followed the Lord's will. Our church was planted in 1935 uh, under a different title as Baldwin Park Holiness Church under the leadership of Frank Heisdorf to reach Japanese-speaking Americans in the San Gabriel Valley. Now, if you think back on your mind, what is ha- in your mind, what's happening in the 1930s into the 40s, remember uh, that this is the time right around World War II. And in fact, shortly after the church opened its doors, it was forced to close its doors because, of the, uh, because uh, many of the Japanese Americans, in fact, all of the Japanese Americans on the West Coast were forced uh, to relocate into uh, internment camps. And our church closed its doors for seven years. And what is interesting to look at is if you go back to our membership roles, after the church opens, after the church reopens back up, after seven years of being closed, we have more members than when it closed uh, in 1942. And the reason for that is there were uh, many Christians, or many people became Christians during that year. And it was mainly through the testimonies of Christians uh, from the Quaker denomination. In fact, there were many Quakers who moved in and lived with the Japanese during that time. And they had such a tremendous impact on the lives of those that were in that situation that uh, years later, some of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we have many of our members that experience that. Dr. Ben Hara was one person I interviewed and as I was thinking about this project and uh, who was interned during World War II. And I asked him, did you ever see anyone that was there serving that clearly didn't have to be? And he said he actually worked up the courage one time to ask, why are you here? And the response that he got was very simple. I am here to serve you in the name of Jesus Christ. Just that one line, I am here to serve you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Dr. Ben didn't come become a Christian until years after that, but it made an impact in his, in his heart and life. Everlyn Yee uh, works at APU, and uh, she has done a lot of uh, research on this. So let me uh, have her share a little bit about this history. I think we're going to have this one. Um, uh, Pastor Winnell was asking me about the um, history of the Japanese Americans and the Quakers, and he wanted me to uh, go over generally what the Quakers did. And um, in this book called Treasures in Earthen Vessels, uh, there's a picture of the camps, and you can see the mountains in the background here, and some of the uh, bungalows in which they lived. And this one, I think might be a picture of Manzanar. And this book uh, was written by Herbert V. Nicholson, and he was a Quaker 
um, missionary to Japan at one point, and he loved the Japanese people, and many of the Quakers and the people that helped out with the Japanese American people already had a relationship with the Japanese people. This is uh, Herbert Nicholson and his wife here, and uh, she was, I think, a free Methodist, but he, was, he started out as a Quaker. Uh, he led a very consecrated life in his early childhood, uh, reading Bible every day. Um, his family didn't have TV or video games or anything like that, so they spent a lot of time uh, bringing up their children, uh, learning scripture. And he literally lived it out in his lifetime. It permeated his life and made a very big difference. Um, if you look at the picture again, you'll see there's actually a picture of what I think someone tried to make it look like Mr. Nicholson. Uh, with the guard at Manzanar, and he's got this big truck. And his truck became very famous because uh, he went to the camps and he brought things like blankets, clothing for the chil children and um, elderly. He um, helped out with other Quakers. Quakers came to the, the um, uh, camps during the time that they were the Japanese Americans were there, which covered about three or four years of their life. And uh, they celebrated Christmas with them. They would go there and they would bring gifts, play Santa Claus, and bring gifts for the children. Um, they really reached out to um, um, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, The Quakers had ministries to all types of people, um, even um, Eskimos, um, Indian, American Indians, uh, Latinos, um, and it was part of what they felt was their calling to reach out to others, um, to their neighbor, to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of these videos, and I, I'm going to skip the rest of the videos this morning, but part of these videos are a part of the uh, curriculum that I, had, I have prepared for uh, this project. In fact, part of the way I envision using this in our, the life of our church going forward is I really want to have us as a church be a church that is so active, people serving in ministry in one way or another. I think part of the, the history that we have, not only from the early stages of the life of our church, but also what Scripture teaches us that all of us are to be involved in God's work, lays such a great foundation. We have many people that are serving the church in many different ways. In fact, I think West Covina Christian Church is probably pretty abnormal for a lot of churches. As people serve in various ways. We have so many people that are giving a lot of time and energy. And my heart is that we would continue to cultivate that, to continue to see people serve and uh, not just out of a sense of obligation or duty, but out of a sense of calling. Like I use that word calling very specifically because it's, it's all over Quaker theology and it's all over the Bible. To discern God's calling in our lives in the way that he would have us to go. Now it would be very easy for us as we, um, as we think about these things in our lives, just uh, and in our church life, just to fill the calendar with a whole bunch of activity. And ultimately, that's not my desire. My desire is that we would be sensitive to the Lord's leading. What is He calling us to do? One of the main doctrines in the uh, 
in theology that we think about along these lines is the priesthood of all believers. When we think about the priesthood of all believers, it is the idea that not just a, a small group of people are called to do the work of the Lord, but rather all of us are called to be involved. In the Old Testament, the, priest, uh, the priests were the only ones that could go before the Lord. Well, for us today, all of us have access to God. That's the, hor- that's the vertical aspect. But also horizontally, the priests in the Old Testament were the ones that were to do the ministry and to serve. Well, in the New Testament and in the church age that we are in now, we are all called to do the work of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Rick had a little comment. Maybe it was even a side comment, but it stuck with me because I could resonate with it. He said oftentimes he doesn't think of himself as any different than those that sit in the pews. But rather he's received, uh, he's like a lay person that's given the opportunity or the role of standing up here and delivering God's word and preaching his message. I think I resonate with that. That's the way I think of myself. I think all of us are in the same camp. Now, some of us have been, diff- been given different roles. Some of us will have roles of teaching and preaching and leading, but some of us will have roles of kind of working behind the scenes or uh, teaching children or whatever it be. No one role is less important than another. It takes all of us. That is the body of Christ together. When I bought my house a few years ago, uh, I really wanted to have a home office. And, uh, but there was no room in the house to turn into a home office. So I decided, and I'd never done this before, but I was just going to build a building in my backyard. So uh, we dug out uh, an area, and I called up a cement truck, and they came, and we poured the concrete, and uh, someone told me I poured it way thicker than I needed to. If we were ever going to tear down this building, people are going to think this guy was preparing for Armageddon or something. I mean, the concrete is thick. You got these anchors in it. I got the studs, uh, and it is built solid. It is a solid building. Then we went through and put up the drywall and the siding and painted it, and I hung pictures. That is my favorite place in all the world. I love my office in my backyard. I love to go out there and sit. But I know full well I will never see that foundation again. There is carpet glued down to it. I will never see the studs. There is, it is covered up. And, but I do look at the other things, and there are some things that are very visible. But fa- in fact, maybe the things that aren't so visible are the most important things. Got, God is calling us all, whether it be really upfront ministry or whatever it be, but God is calling all of us to be involved in his work. Part of the way I envision some of this uh, playing out in our church is I'd like, to off- I'd like to be able to offer the class that we wrote in with a few uh, changes and be a way, a way to help people to discern what the Lord is calling them to do. That's kind of that individual calling. And then there is a church-wide calling. How might we be organized to do the ministry that God is calling us to do? I'm going to have uh, Shiori come and to share with us a little bit. He was one that was in one of my pilot groups for this, for the, this, uh, these lessons, and he's going to share with us. Uh, do you have the handheld mic? Can I borrow that? And... Uh,
uh, this mic on okay? Thanks. Um, thanks, Pastor Corey. Pardon me for wanting to stand here, but there are just so many things I can handle. You know me. Uh, my little presentation is called Factors That Are Shaping My Calling, and it's based on what we did in Pastor Corey's uh, growth group uh, over a, a number of months, actually. And so uh, this uh, sort of amounts to uh, sort of a my life story in a way, so please bear with me. And <laughs> I, I'll ask your forgiveness if I... Uh, well, anyway, here goes. I'm uh, a Japanese-American who spent close to three years in an American concentration camp in Amachi, Colorado, whose parents lived a life of servitude to the wealthy so my sister could attend college on the East Coast immediately after World War II. With a daughter in college and my father knowing very little English then, he had few career choices and I came from a very poor family. But I lived for seven very formative years with the family for whom my parents worked, whose mother loved me as much as her six kids. I had teachers who took this poor Japanese-American kid under their wings. One gave me the greatest story ever told, and as a high school student, a junior, had me write articles for the Swampscott Dory, our local small-town newspaper. My sister was 12 years older than I, and I idolized her. Uh, we always lived far apart, but we wrote to each other, and I loved to exchange letters with her. Another critical factor in shaping my calling was my year in Vietnam. And beyond the obvious, this was a good year because God let me redeem myself from three prior years of being away from home for the first time when I had so much irresponsible fun in Hawaii that I could have been thrown out of the service and probably should have been. I, I was funny now, just, uh, not so then. I, w I was given the opportunity to make up for my reckless behavior in Vietnam by a tough-as-nails major to whom no one talked back, not even our battalion commander. <laughs> uh, it would have been unfortunate if I'd been thrown out of the service because I was supposed to have a, a very nice, you know, good army career. Uh, but I served our country well. God bought, brought me back home safely, and God saved me from a good army career. <laughs> Uh, I came back home from Vietnam, went back to school, and met my wife, Audrey. Uh, she's the most important influence in my life. And finally, uh, wonderful pastors and friends in Berkeley, Baldwin Park, and West Covina here taught me what it's like to live a life as a faithful Christian. They offered love and comfort in the worst of times and showed me what Jesus Christ's joy is like in the best of times. You know, of course, that I became a teacher. Every one of the people that I mentioned was God's gift to me. From soon after World War II, their love helped me to know that I was a person who deserved to be treated with as much human dignity as anyone else, and a person whose human potential deserved to be nurtured as much 
as anyone else's. Today, Dr. Corey's exercise over the last bunch of weeks also helped me to want to be that person. You might think that all this making your ministry what God desires is great for a 17-year-old or 27-year-old, but it occurred to me that the fewer years I have left, the more important it is that I try to make those years right. It also dawned on me that I can't make things right by myself, but that we must be a part of a ministry, ministry through which God strengthen, strengthens and helps us, and indeed does uphold us with his righteous right hand. I look forward to being a part of that ministry. I hope serving a community whose members are very loving, but whose rights and potential need to be nurtured. But most of all, a community whose members come to know deeply the joy of being God's children. So, thank you. I had one book that was especially helpful for me during this project. Uh, J.R. Woodward wrote a book called Creating a Missional Culture, and he looks at these verses in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he sees kind of five functions to the church that are needed for it to be strong based on the, on the list there in verse 11. It talks about having, and I envision this as a way forward for us as well, having a vision team, having a, like a community missions team, evangelism team, shepherding, shepherding and care team, and a teaching team. Not to do the work of the ministry, but to help lead us and create uh, opportunities for all of us to do, uh, do work in these areas. And Woodward's kind of a dreamer like I am. And uh, he quotes, and he closes his book with painting this picture that I think is a beautiful picture for us to receive as well. What would the church look like if everyone in the church used their God-given gifts and talents to equip the rest of the church in such a way that the entire church became more like Jesus? What if the whole church looked more like Jesus? How much more would our neighborhoods and cities look like heaven? That's my prayer, that God would continue to use us, that God would raise us up, do the things that he would have us to do, to follow his lead and his call, that we would become more and more like Jesus and in the, pre- in, the, in the process experience his joy, advance his kingdoms, see our neighborhoods and cities transformed to be more like heaven. As Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we're really thankful for just the way that you have used our church and are working in our midst. And now, even as we look forward to things down the road, sometimes there is a feeling of uncertainty with pastoral transition and these type of things. But God, we know that ultimately Jesus is the head of the church, that you are the foundation. Just as I think back on that building I laid with 
a strong foundation. We know that there can be no more sturdy foundation than the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we seek to do your will. We seek to follow you in the ways that you would lead us. We pray for your Spirit's help that we would individually discern your call and as a, and as a church body corporately that we would discern how you are leading us and causing us to go. So we lift up all of these things to you.